2 Timothy in chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We are beginning a, a four-part series in 2 Timothy that we're calling the Scripture-Saturated Church. The Scripture-Saturated Church. We want our church and our own lives to be saturated with God's word like a, like a sponge gets saturated with water. That's the, that's the vision we're seeking to cast from Scripture for Scripture in our shared lives together. And so Mindy is going to read. of the Lord. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life. that's lovely. Let's start again. Hear the word of the Lord. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at I Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Mindy. Why this series on scripture in 2 Timothy? Why? For me, I believe it was the word instability. See if you can relate. Coming out of the year 2020 and into 2021, it felt like a lot of instability, not just in the culture, but in the church, in the church at large. What Ephesians 4 aptly describes as being tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine. That was the, the feeling, you might say being tossed to and fro by waves of a dividing culture, a pandemic, important racial issues, explosive political issues, bringing division in the culture that was getting reflected in division in the church. Waves of a dividing culture and also being tossed to and fro by waves of a doubting culture. Prominent deconversions and deconstructions showing the need for us to ask who or what is convincing us of what is true for us in the church. Showing 
the need to ask, what are we really building our Christian lives on in the church? Tossed to and fro by waves of a dividing culture, waves of a doubting culture, and also being tossed to and fro by waves of a shifting culture, dramatically shifting ethical norms, rip currents of changing morality, carrying many out into a sea of confusion. I want to ask you, have you felt those waves hitting you? Have you felt their pull on your heart? Tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine. What's the solution in your mind? What's the antidote? What's the answer for that experience? Well, God gives us his solution in the next verse of the book of Ephesians. After saying, tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, he says, rather, speaking the truth, the truth in love. That's how we grow up in Ephesians 4 into Christ. That's how we steady ourselves in the midst of wave upon wave. And that's really the why behind this series. That we would not assume the truth, but we would as a church be more intentionally saturated in the truth, a, a scripture-saturated church. Or to change the analogy, it's as David Jackman asks, where is the Bible in the car? Imagining the car being the church. He says, in some churches, the Bible is in the trunk of the car. It was put there a long time ago and forgotten about. In other churches, the Bible is in the back seat of the car. And we know how irritating backseat drivers can be, he says. In those churches, they find the Bible irritating because it says things they don't like. In most evangelical churches, he says, the Bible is in the passenger seat. It's there to be consulted. It's a map reader. We converse with it as a passenger. But we want the Bible explicitly and intentionally in the driver's seat of the car, the driver's seat of this church, for then God is driving the church, isn't he? We want the Bible. We want Holy Scripture in the driver's seat for us corporately and for you individually. So our goal, our goal, you might say, is to better know and love the word of God that we might better know and love the God of the word. That's the why for these four weeks. To better know and love the word of God that we might better know and love the God of the word. And that brings us to our passage in 2 Timothy. I'm going to focus just on verses 14 and 15. But I asked Mindy to read the context. Because the Apostle Paul is writing from prison at the end of his life to his sidekick Timothy, encouraging Timothy to persevere. The Apostle Paul tells him in this chapter that people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud and arrogant, and that people will oppose the truth. They will oppose the truth. Verse 14, but... 
But as for you, emphatically you, by contrast, you, Timothy, you must continue. Verse 14. Continue. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Don't, don't stray, Timothy, from what you have learned and believed. Don't, don't, don't drift from what you have learned and firmly believed. You must stay, Timothy, stay with what you have learned and firmly believe. You must remain and abide in what you have learned and firmly believe. Notice, knowing from whom you learned it. Knowing from whom you learned it. Chapter 1 of this letter references Timothy's mother Eunice and grandmother Lois, and they seem to be in view in verse 14 here. Apparently, Timothy's father did not know Christ, but his mother and grandmother did, and by grace, by grace, their faith was now Timothy's faith as well. You see, God used an imperfect situation to transform Timothy's life. And I want to say to parents, be encouraged. The perfect God can and does work in your imperfect situation to accomplish his purposes. But it's as if Paul is saying to Timothy in verse 14, Timothy, Timothy, you saw your mother and your grandmother's faith up close and personal on a daily basis. So remember the real thing as you saw it in them. Remember the genuine article as you saw it in their lives. That seems to be the point. And I want to say now to the kids here, the youth here, remember from whom you learned the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Your parents are not perfect. You are growing up in an imperfect situation of some kind. But by God's grace, I do believe you can say, in my mom or in my dad, I do see the real thing. I do see the genuine article. So continue, he says. Continue in what you have learned. That's the command, knowing from whom you learned it. Verse 15, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Here's, here's what Timothy must specifically now continue in. The sacred or holy writings. Our Old Testament, but also by this time, Paul's writings and others' writings were being recognized as Scripture as well. So we can certainly apply this to Old and New Testament in our day. Old and New Testament together are the sacred or holy writings, for they are both human and divine. Friends, human authors with human personalities were carried along by the Holy Spirit such that the result was exactly what God wanted to preserve for his people in all time. Continue in those sacred writings. Timothy, Grace Church. Notice why which are able to make you wise. Wise for salvation through faith in Christ 
Jesus. Now, now verse 15 is not saying the Bible is merely a collection of wise saying, wise sayings to put on your refrigerator magnets. <laughs> it's not saying the Bible is a fortune cookie you crack open for nuggets of wisdom. The Bible tells a grand story, a story with a beginning, middle, and end, a story revealing the saving work of Jesus Christ, God's redeeming work in the earth through his son. So making you wise for salvation means scripture is where we gain knowledge of the truth, as Mary Cassian puts it. Here and only here in scripture do we find essential truths for knowing and enjoying God himself. Truth about our nature, including our fallenness and our need of rescue. Truth about God's character, his holiness, justice, love, mercy, and kindness. And truth about what Christ has done. How God the Son took on human flesh to be our substitute, to obey in our place, be judged in our place, die and rise in our place. Holy Scripture uniquely, oh friends, uniquely makes you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And all of Scripture does that, by the way. All of Scripture does that. Open your Bible anywhere, and that passage is preparing for, pointing to, explaining or applying Jesus and his finished work. In Luke 24, after Jesus rose from the grave, he encounters a couple of confused disciples trying to make sense of his resurrection, and Jesus says to them, Oh, foolish ones, <laughs> and slow of heart to believe all, all that the prophets have spoken, and beginning with Moses, and all the prophets, listen, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He's saying that the entire Old Testament points to me, ultimately. And certainly that applies to the New Testament as well. So according to Jesus, catch this, according to Jesus, the key for understanding Scripture is Jesus. John 5, same thing. Jesus is challenged by the religious authorities. Jesus challenges them right back. Quote, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, the scriptures, that bear witness about me. According to Jesus, all scripture bears witness about him. Are you reading your Bible that way? Is it making you wise that way? The interpretive lens for reading the Bible is Jesus, according to Jesus, and I think we should take his word for it. So the call of verses 14 and 15, as I would summarize it at least, is to continue in Scripture, to continue seeing Jesus. One-point sermon today, aren't you glad? Continue in Scripture to continue seeing Jesus. That is, in effect, how we are made wise for salvation in an ongoing way. 
continue, remain in, abide in Holy Scripture to continue seeing Jesus Christ. Continue in Scripture to continue clearly seeing Jesus. Continue in Scripture to continue reverently seeing Jesus. Continue in Scripture to continue joyfully seeing Jesus Christ. I want to sign up for that. So how do we do that? What does that look like? Sometime last year, I became aware of a book called Deep Discipleship. And I think that is a very effective title because it just made me have to read that book. I had to know what was the secret to deep discipleship. And it's actually a good book. Turns out deep discipleship, according to the author, involves three things. The Bible, sound theology, and personal and corporate spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines. The Bible, sound theology, and personal and corporate spiritual practices. In other words, there is no secret to deep discipleship. That's what I found. I thought, I could have written that book. But I agree with the author, there is no secret at all. It's the Bible, it's sound theology, it's personal and corporate spiritual practices that we might apply the Bible and sound theology together as a body, as a people. Personal practices like the regular intake of God's word, friends. I want to I wanna exhort you. Have a plan. Have a doable plan for the regular intake of God's word. Each word there is important. Have a doable plan for you right now in your season of life. Have a doable, sustainable plan for the regular intake of God's word. That means meditating on God's word. That means praying from God's word. It also means memorizing God's word. You have in your bulletin. One more thing we'd like to stick in your Bible this year. We gave you a prayer card a couple weeks ago. I want to ask you to use this bookmark the next four weeks as well. We gave you the texts and titles for our sermons in this series and a memory verse or a memory passage, you might say. We want to make scripture memory a part of our church deliberately. To be, to be honest, in my own failure, we haven't made scripture memory a deliberate part of our practice together. We'd like to fix that. We'd like to give you a doable goal for memorizing God's word. I think that was four verses on that bookmark over the next four weeks. Please memorize that passage. It will remind you to saturate your soul with scripture. Personal practices, we also need corporate practices like the Sunday service. Friends, here we sing the Bible, read the Bible, pray the Bible, and preach the Bible. We also see the Bible's promises in the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And corporately, we seek to build church life around the scriptures. And we're seeking to do this more deliberately as well, building church life around the scripture preached in our home groups and in our youth ministry. 
That way we pursue fellowship around Scripture together. We care for one another with Scripture, and we help one another apply holy Scripture. That's how, friends, we can continue in Scripture to continue seeing Jesus. One point. But I'd like to help us by applying it to three different groups of people. The, the doubting, the distracted, and the spiritually dry, just to force the alliteration. <laughs> first, the doubting. First, the doubting. I want to say, first of all, that honest wrestling with doubt is not wrong in the least, and it is very common. God often takes his children through what St. John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul. Friends, we need to be a church where people can struggle with doubt, wrestle with doubt, and be met with love, care, compassion, and patient, kind help. And the fact that we wrestle with doubt is, is not surprising, especially today. We live in a time that has been called post-truth. Oxford Dictionary declared post-truth, a hyphenated word, the international word of the year back in 2016. We live in a post-truth world. In that environment, it is not surprising at all when you find yourself feeling like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, locked up in Doubting Castle, facing giant despair. It's also not surprising that many are seeking to, quote-unquote, deconstruct their Christian lives. And I would submit to you we should deconstruct past church experiences that were harmful. We should deconstruct unbiblical aspects of a church culture. But the mistake we can make is to seek to deconstruct the sacred writings themselves. Now, we may need to deconstruct a wrong interpretation of Scripture or a wrong application of Scripture, but friends, we deconstruct the sacred writings themselves to our own harm. So if you find yourself, like Christian, in Doubting Castle, facing giant despair, I hope, like Christian, you will find hidden in your pocket a key called promise because that key can unlock the door to Doubting Castle and drive away giant despair. But I realize it's not always that easy. I have been there, and I will tell you more about that in a couple of weeks. Years ago, I was in an extended dark night of the soul. I understand it's not easy. For an extended period of time, all the faith I could muster in terms of seeing Jesus was to open one of the four gospel accounts and attempt to sustain my faith with sight of Christ on those pages. That's all I could do. That's all the faith I felt I could muster. And God was at work in all of that. I know some of you are struggling, fighting for faith, and the fight is hard. 
seeing Jesus every day in the scriptures, it's like, it's like oxygen for your soul. Oxygen <laughs> needed by your body, you might say, every day. So open the four Gospels and pray for light to shine in the dark night. His Spirit will meet you in the sacred writings. And as you stay connected right here. So if you're in the category of the doubting, we are with you. We are walking alongside of you. And I would say continue in Scripture to continue seeing Jesus. Second group, the distracted. Secondly, the distracted. I, I put myself in this category all too often. It's been said there is a war of attention going on, a war of attention. More things than ever vying for our attention. Social media, endless news and entertainment, at the click of a mouse. And scripture often loses that war of attention in our hearts, doesn't it? According, according to LifeWay research, on any given day, on any given day, evangelical Christians in the U.S. are twice as likely to open Facebook than their Bible. Now, please do not misunderstand. I am not against social media. In fact, I have a Facebook account. I don't use it a whole lot, but I have one. I enjoy following people on Twitter. I actually do look at Twitter quite a bit. And I follow a few people on Instagram. Those things can be fun and helpful. Helpful ways of connecting us. So don't misunderstand. But you need to be aware of the shaping power of whatever is most grabbing your attention. That's my point. You need to be aware of the shaping power, the discipling power of that which is most grabbing your attention on a regular basis. As Kevin DeYoung put it, the world is catechizing us, teaching us. Whether we realize it or not, this world is shaping you, teaching you by the things you are taking in, watching, reading, etc. It's good to ask, what is most discipling me? Something is most influencing your beliefs and habits. What is it for you? A political pundit? a political talk show, your preferred news source, what you're watching, reading on social media. Look, friends, something is most shaping your beliefs, your thoughts, your habits. What is that for you? This is a war of attention we're in. So I want to recommend a book that actually my good friend Rick first recommended. It is entitled The Wisdom Pyramid, by Brett McCracken, Feeding Your Soul in a Post-Truth World. He has helpful guidelines, helpful practices to consider for healthy media and internet intake. He likens the wisdom pyramid, likens, likens the food pyramid, you're probably aware of, to how we should feed our soul. Similar to how Jesus did. In Matthew 4, Jesus had been fasting 40 days. The tempter came to him saying, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is 
written, right, in the sacred writings. It is written. Deuteronomy 8, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In this day, bread equaled survival. But Jesus says, you don't live by bread alone. You live also by every word from God himself. In other words, Scripture nourishes your soul like nothing else can. For the distracted like me, we must remember this, friends. God's word is that on which God's people live. So if you are finding yourself opening Facebook more than the book, Instagram more than Isaiah, Twitter and TikTok more than Timothy and Titus, Titus, open your Bible. Open your Bible and pray, God, renew my taste buds for what my soul most needs. Pray the words of Psalm 19. God, make the scriptures sweeter than honey for me than drippings from the honeycomb. Continue in Scripture that Jesus Christ would capture your attention and mine most of all. And then lastly, one more group. I call them the dry, which can be a common experience. I mean, the spiritually bored, you might say. You see, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you face this challenge. You do. What C.S. Lewis called in these screw tape letters, the horror of the same old thing. Screw tape is an experienced demon training his young nephew demon, and he tells him to, quote, take advantage of the human demand for novelty. Oh, don't we see that today? The human demand for novelty. Well, there is a Christian version of, this, of the horror of the same old thing. There's a Christian demand for novelty. It's when we treat the Bible merely as something I've read before. I, I've already read that. You know, I already know the ending. Spoiler alert. I know the ending. Why read it again? I, I want something new. I want something different. Friends, that's the danger of what I would call spiritual boredom, leaving you spiritually dry, and the answer is to renew your awe. Your awe. I read a Harvard Business Review article on the psychological benefits of awe, that our brains are wired for awe, and I think we know that reading our Bibles. We are wired for wonder, worship. God has wired you for awe and wonder and worship, and we must retain our awe in the fact that God, the living God, has given us his word. Now, I, I hesitate to share a personal illustration here, but it might be helpful. Over the past couple of years, I have had the privilege of taking a, a few courses in Biblical Hebrew and Biblical Greek. And I found two things. 
two main benefits. One, I saw that our English translations are excellent. So please do not misunderstand this illustration. You are not deficient in your Bible reading. When you are reading the major English translations, they are very, very good. And second, God was gracious to help me see more clearly the, the awe and wonder of Holy Scripture. Sitting before, I had this experience a few times, sitting before the Hebrew or Greek text with, with tears in my eyes, looking at a particular word and realizing the, the infinite God of the universe wanted his people to have that word in Holy Scripture. That's my belief. That's my conviction. In the original autographs, the original writings, the infinite and eternal one, no beginning, no end, the infinite one revealed himself in each and every word before me. And I was stunned. That's the awe I want to retain for myself and the awe I want you to retain. wonder and and worship over the fact that scripture is both communication from and communion with the living god i think i think this is the pathway to all scott swain in his book trinity revelation and reading writes reading scripture Reading scripture is a living conversation between an eloquent Lord and his attentive servants. That should fill us with awe, shouldn't it? A living conversation between an eloquent Lord and his attentive servants. Friends, here in Holy Scripture, you have a, you have a living conversation. It's not a textbook you study. I learned the facts and I put it to the side. It's a living conversation. Here God himself communes with you, has fellowship with you in Holy Scripture by his spirit. Here the spirit of God opens your eyes in particular to the glory of the Son of God. So continue in Scripture. Praying. Pray the words of Ephesians 3 the unsearchable riches of Christ. Pray to see more of the unsearchable riches of Christ. Unsearchable means, I would think, you can't exhaust them. No horror of the same old thing when it comes to Jesus. <laughs> you can have a sanctified demand for novelty when you are in the scriptures demanding, as it were, to see more of the unsearchable riches of Jesus. As Scottish pastor Andrew Bernard put it in a letter in 1875, at age 65, at age 65, he said, Christ grows more precious every day. Don't, don't, don't you want that to be your experience, that kind of awe? Christ grows more precious every day. Oh, he said, oh, to know his heart of love.
brothers and sisters, continue in Scripture to continue seeing Jesus like that. And to help us see him right now, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. So would the ushers prepare to serve us and Philip return? And let's take a moment to pray and ask God to help us. I don't know if you can identify with any of those three categories. I know I can. Many, if not most of us, can bounce between all three. Let's ask God to meet us and help us. He is eager, friends. He is eager to do so. If there are doubts you are wrestling with, bring them to him. Ask him for fresh light in the dark night of the soul. If you find yourself, like I do, easily distracted, ask him to help you. To remember that you do not live by bread alone or anything else online but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And where you feel dry or even bored, ask him for renewed awe and wonder and worship, given that this God has given us his word to behold his son. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're so grateful that you, you are eager to help your people feast on your word. And so help us to do that all the more. Help me, help us, we ask you. Help us, perhaps most of all, to see the sum and center of the Bible, your Son. May he grab our attention more and more and more, we ask you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good news, friends. We're going to take the bread and the cup right now to see Jesus. Because on the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. After blessing it, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup, saying, this is God's covenant sealed in my blood, my sacrifice. Drink from it, he said, in remembrance of me. So when you're ready, we invite all who have trusted Jesus Christ to come to one of the serving stations, take the bread, friends, take the cup, and feast on Christ by faith. See him in the promises of this sacrament. Enjoy him, the word of God incarnate. And for those who have yet to trust in the life, death, and resurrection, we ask you this morning to take Christ. We're so glad you're here. Turn from going your own way. 
and trust only in, hope only in, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to take away your sins and bring you to God himself, and he will. We urge you to take Christ right now. For the rest, when you're ready, please come and receive.